Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, and we're going to be talking about how we all deal with the temptation of power and control in our lives. Let's read. But you have followed my teaching. So this is Paul uh, talking here. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. You have all followed my teaching. Uh, excuse me. Let's start over. You have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's your K-love moment for the day. <laughs> Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So today, as we continue on in our series, Defense Against the Dark Arts, I want to speak to you from the subject, the trifecta of temptation, part two, as we look at power and how when wrongly viewed or applied can be caused as a dark art. And we'll wrap up today's talk by wrapping up and looking at how scripture, God's word to us, is all authoritative. Are you guys ready to dive in? All right, will you pray with me one more time? Lord, we submit this time to you. Holy Spirit, would you fall in this place? Lord, you're able to calm a storm. Would you calm my nerves? Holy Spirit, we give you this time. Would you fall? Would you bring life change? Would you bring an understanding of you better? and more so that we can worship you with our lives. Yeah. Lord, we give you this time. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. amen. All right. Well, I'm going to ask a question. It's a kind of a rhetorical slash non-rhetorical question, which means <laughs> it requires an answer, but I don't want you to show me what your answer is, okay? All right. So how many of you, just ask yourselves again, don't need any hands right now. How many of you would say that you deal with the temptation of power on a regular basis? Just ask yourselves. I didn't see any hands up, so you guys are on track. That's good. <laughs> but just because we think maybe this temptation doesn't apply to us doesn't mean that we actually don't all deal with this in some form or another. And today, I'm going to unpack that a bit. All right, last week, Pastor Jason talked about how the temptation that we face in life, it's a real thing, has real power, and we experience the lure of it, don't we? Yeah. Show of hands, how many of you have been tempted at one point or another? Sweet, 40% of you have been tempted. <laughs> That's better than last service. It was 20% then. Pastor Jason talked about temptation of money last weekend. I'm going to be talking about the temptation of power and control in our lives today. And then he's going to wrap up the trifecta series, the mini-series, with the temptation of sex next week. 
And I think if we look at those three subjects, money, power, sex, I think we can all kind of agree that money and sex, those, those are big deals, right? We can see how those, okay, we're, we got to combat those temptations. Those are big temptations. If we don't get them under control, that they can um, cause some problems in our lives, right? right? But I think sometimes, by just looking at the surface of it, we think, how does the temptation of power affect my life? I'm not really power hungry. You know, I'm not really dealing with that. But uh, I just want to submit to us today that even though we see the temptation of power um, succumbed to, we see people misuse power, maybe in high-profile settings, or we see uh, people that are in, in grand leadership positions. You know, we see these stories take place through the news and social media platforms, don't we? Yeah. And, and so you're probably like, how does that really apply to my life? And, and you, you may be thinking, man, I don't really hold a position of authority. Maybe I'm not in a position of leadership. So, so how do I deal with the temptation of power? The thing with this temptation is that it's pretty sneaky. It's sneaky, and it may surprise you how it surfaces in our lives. I just want to just say something real quick, just to be clear. When I say the temptation of power and control, I'm not talking about self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and necessary for living a holy life. I'm talking about power and control that is self-seeking, self-centered and dysfunctional as a result, okay? So just to kind of throw that disclaimer out there. One of the things that I've realized in my life to date is that we all naturally wake up thinking about number one, don't we? Just like our, our fleshly nature, right? We all wake up thinking about number one. I mean, I think about when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, I immediately think about how I just want to stay in my comfortable bed and not get out in the cold. But then I immediately want to, you know, switch that up by going to make sure that I am comforted by going to make coffee, right? So I'm thinking about number one. And typically my, my little dog, you have a little dog, it keeps me in line sometimes. She reminds me, that, hey, like I need to be fed too. So it often boils down to this. We think, all right, if I have control of this situation in my life, everything's going to be okay. If I have power over this thing in my life, then I'll be content. Or maybe it's this. If I, if I am my own authority, then I'll have true happiness and fulfillment. Pastor Jason talked last week about how contentment deals with the life-controlling power of unfulfilled desires, ambitions, and our every driving need for more. And that's what this tends to drive this area of our lives as well. So we all deal with this temptation to try to fill these, uh, this temptation here with fulfillment and contentment, but a lot of times we do it in a way that is misaligned with God's word, God's authoritative word. We try to take control and grab at things that we think are going to make us more content, more happy, or we're going to take control of it, so we're just going to do what we want, rather than aligning it with God's word, and we try to bring this contentment ourselves. Paul deals with this issue of contentment in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we see here 
that we can do all things through who? Very good. It's awesome. There's that teacher thing coming out, right? <laughs> Our contentment is found through him. Okay? We cannot do, like, we cannot grab at power. We cannot look at control to try and bring contentment to our lives. Our contentment is found through him and his authoritative voice. I realized this as I was getting <laughs> this message prepared. I'm like, how does this apply to my life? And I got thinking about the thermostat in our home. I'm like, if you know my family dynamic, I am the lone male. Uh, I almost said single male. I'm not single. I'm happily married to Pastor Sarah. You're beautiful. I love you. You're amazing. I'm the lone male in my home, and I have four other women living in the home with me. Let me explain. We already identified one. Just Pastor Sarah. The other three are pretty special to me as well. They are my three daughters, ages 11, 14, and 17. <laughs> it's, great. It's, it's a great season of parenting. I'm just I love you. If you guys are watching right now, I love you. Here's the deal. My, the women in my life love a sweltering, hot environment in our home and it like it kills me it literally I feel like I'm gonna die sometimes and man like it is just so hot in our house all the time and I uh I love cold weather any of us love cold weather like we love going into the season I love cold weather and if it's up to me it would be frigid in our home so that I could wear my my special I got some special slippers I wear those around I wear a sweatshirt in the house, you know, maybe a beanie, um, and drink hot coffee all day long. I drink hot coffee throughout the year, no matter what, but it's really nice to drink hot coffee in the wintertime when I don't have to sweat while I'm drinking it, you know what I mean? <laughs> the thing is, is uh, this may seem small, but really what it comes down to is I want to try to control my own contentment. I want to try to control my own environment. I want control of the situation. Yeah. I think it's a small but impactful illustration there of how this can surface in our lives. Yeah. It's sneaky. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. The thing is, is that we all face this temptation of self-focused power and control in our lives. The good thing is that we don't have to succumb to the temptation. We don't have to succumb to the temptation. So with that said, with the remainder of our time together, I want to look at three truths concerning the temptation of power and control in our lives so that we can walk out of here, hopefully, with an understanding of what the temptation of power and control looks like so we can see how it affects our lives and also so we, how we can apply the remedy to that temptation, which is God's authoritative word. Ultimately, I want us to grab the fact that God and his word, scripture, is our authority. Sound good? Yeah. All right, everyone shout, number one. number one. We must identify our power grabs. We must identify our power grabs. So I was a full-time firefighter for several years before coming full-time here at the well, and any time we got called out for any type of emergency 
or situation, the first thing uh, towards solving the problem was to actually figure out what the problem was, right? We had to identify what the problem was. That makes sense, right? Yeah. People have a problem, they call the fire department to come solve it, right? But we had to figure out what it was that was the problem at first so that we could then correct it, mitigate it, and make it right. So in the same way, we need to identify the various temptations that we all have, and today we're talking about the one that we all face, which is the temptation of power and control. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Everyone should ask yourself this right now. What is my power grab or power grabs? If we still don't think that we struggle with this temptation for power and control, can I just suggest a few things or maybe present a few thoughts? Have you ever wanted to control a conversation? Or maybe seek recognition for something? I have. Maybe for the parents in the room, you've used your parental power to just kind of dominate in a situation instead of using that moment to train your child up in the way they should go in a particular situation. Ever done that? I have. That's why there's verses like Ephesians 6, 4 that say, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So if you're still kind of like, ah, I'm not buying it, I don't deal with this temptation of power and control in my life, can I just use the illustration of toddlers? <laughs> when our kids were small, man, we would have like the floor covered in toys, and somehow they would end up fighting over one toy, right? We've all seen it, and I know that my kids did it, and I, I'm still seeing kids do it today, so I know it's not just my kids, right? <laughs> And it's not like Sarah and I were sitting there teaching them, like, you have control over that situation. Like, you make sure you have control over that toy. Like, they just inherently, right, our fleshly nature, we just inherently want to try to grab for control over situations and things in our life. Let's look at some other practical examples. Maybe it's uh, that you want to control your comforts. We talked about the small little illustration, small, notice I'm even trying to cover that up with the uh, thermostat. <laughs> Maybe it's wanting to be in control of your future. And I'm not talking about planning and using wisdom, those types of things. I'm talking about saying, I want what I want in my future, and that's all I want, rather than submitting our futures to God yeah. and trusting him with the outcomes yeah. of those futures. Maybe it's choosing to dismiss what the boss says just so that you have a little bit of control in that situation. Pride? Ego, needing to be right, insisting on our own way. These are all forms of falling into the temptation of power. Maybe drugs, porn, fitness, or shopping are the areas where you feel like you've got some control in your life. Or maybe it's even speeding to church just, be just because you can. <laughs> just because you want to go get a seat real quick. And, uh, you know, just because you can. Temptation of power and control is... A real thing. So we've identified several different ways in where it may surface in our lives, practically speaking. But I want to look at some scripture here so that we can pull an example from Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and here it is. So if you've been following this series for a while, here's this uh, lie from the enemy. Did God really say... You can't eat from the tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the tree 
trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. So there's God's word to them. No, and this is how I read my Bible. So it's like <laughs> voice fluctuation. And... Verse four, the enemy speaking here. No, you certainly <laughs> will not die, said the servant of the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So let's identify what the power grabs are in this section of scripture. The author clearly identifies it in verse 5 that she had the desire to be like God. That was a power grab. She wanted to be like God. Verse 6 goes on to further explain that they wanted to have the same level of wisdom that God had. So what can we pull from this? The very first two human beings on the face of the earth dealt with the temptation of power and control. So let's look at a different piece of scripture here where we see the desire for recognition. We see that flesh out in this story in Mark 10, 35 through 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. That's a bold <laughs> statement. <laughs> Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. <laughs> A bold statement. <laughs> Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. So we see a little tension here. Am I there? Okay. We see a little uh, tension with the disciples, right? See, James and John, they're being bold. They're asking for things. That's irritating the other disciples. See paragraphs all over the place here. <laughs> so Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see the power grab in this situation at hand is that James and John wanted control of the recognition that they received. They were after status. So this is what I've come to realize to this point, is that we all naturally wake up thinking about number one, don't we? And it's easy to see how we, in our flesh have the desire for self-focused power and control in our lives. So let's review everything that we've gone over in this first point. We see the first two human beings dealt with the, the temptation of power and control. We see some of Jesus' disciples deal with the temptation of power and control. And I would say at this moment that it's fair to confirm that we are all faced with the temptation to have power in our lives. The good thing is, is that temptation is not a sin. It's what we do with that temptation that matters, right? right. 
Amen? We have the ability to make decisions when we're faced with temptation. And that leads me to point number two. Everyone say number two. Number two. Number two. Say it again. Number two. There we go. <laughs> Our response to the temptation of power has ramifications. Our response to the temptation of power has ramification. So here's the question. Ask yourself this again. What will you do when tempted with power and control? Ask yourselves that right now. You see, if we give into the temptation of self-focused, self-centered power and control, it's not in alignment with God's word. When we submit the desire to have power and control in our lives to God and to the truth of his word, then we find alignment. At that moment, then we see that we're aligned for true design. That as we submit our desire for control, these power grabs, these moments where we want to look out for number one, when we submit that to God, the one who created us, then we're in alignment and he is able to provide for our every single need and we're able to express our worship wholeheartedly to him. So let's look at a couple of examples in the Bible where people fell into the temptation of power and control. Let's look at uh, Adam and Eve again. We're going to review that story, and then we're going to look at the story of David, and then we're going to look at how it plays out in our everyday lives. So let's review the story of Adam and Eve again with their wrong response to this temptation found in Genesis 3, 6 through 7. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So rather than aligning with the word of God, you remember what God said to them? Don't eat of the fruit of that particular tree. So rather than aligning what they were being tempted with, with the word of God, they chose to take matters into their own hands And it had some major ramifications. We see Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so it's talking about this moment with Adam and Eve, in this way, death spread into all people because all sinned. That is a huge ramification for not listening to God's authoritative word that was established before the lie came. His word was established before the light came. It was all authoritative, all authoritative before the enemy tried to tweak it. Yeah. Yeah. Had they just adhered to God's authoritative voice, yeah. the outcome may have been a lot different, right? Yeah. Yeah. As we see now, we're dealing with this flesh out. We're seeing the ramifications of their decision to fall into this temptation. We're dealing with sin, brokenness in humanity across the world, aren't we? This has a big ramification. Now let's look at an example in the Bible where there was actually the decision made to resist to fall into this temptation. Let's look at the story of David. And I'll give you a little bit of context surrounding David. So in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see that David was anointed as king, all right? But he did not take his throne at that particular moment, okay? So the word of God came through prophets in the Old Testament, and the prophet Samuel came and anointed King uh, David as king. But then again, he didn't take the kingship. He didn't take the throne immediately. There were several years 
between the time he was anointed and the time he became the king. So in the middle of that space, the middle of that time, we see in 1 Samuel 24, David was being pursued by King Saul. And King Saul essentially wanted to kill David because he was jealous of David and ultimately kind of scared of David because David was awesome. (laughs) In one moment, we see David and his uh, group of supporters, the mighty men of, of, of David, as they're referred to. So we see David and his men, they're hiding out in this cave as they see Saul and his men coming towards them. Well, it just so happens that King Saul happens to wander into the same cave that David and his men are in. He has to take care of some business. I'm not going to go into the details. Let's just say he was vulnerable. King Saul was vulnerable in that moment. So David's men are like, David, like, here's your chance. King Saul's vulnerable. Go take him out. Like, like, and you would think, like, even by the worldly standards, David was justified at this point, right? To take out King Saul. He was after him. He wasn't treating David with, with love and, and, and righteousness and these types of things. So by worldly standards, right, we see, okay, David was justified in taking out King Saul, but David denied the temptation to take power into his own hands. David desired to honor and trust God with the process. You remember what the word of God was to him through the prophet. He was anointed as king, yet he hadn't taken the throne yet. David was going to say, you know what? Actually, I'm going to trust God's word. I'm going to trust God's word. I'm not going to take control of the situation and making it happen on my own. David Guzik in the Enduring Word commentary remarked, David wanted the promise, David wanted the promise to be fulfilled, but he refused to try and fulfill God's promise through his own disobedience. So we eventually see David take the throne in the book of 2 Samuel. So again, there were several years from between the time he was anointed to the time he became king. David Guzik again remarked, This shows that David did not seize the throne. The elders of Judah approached him. David knew that it was better to let God lift him up through others than to strive to advance himself. We should strive to advance God's kingdom and leave the advancement of self in his hands. The thing here, just just summing it all up, David denied the temptation of power and control. And we see that he ultimately stepped into the plans and purposes that God had for him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I would say that David exercised this piece of Proverbs. He wasn't wise in his own eyes. He relied on the authoritative word of God right? In his ways, he acknowledged God, right? And his paths were made straight. Eventually, he stepped into the kingship. He stepped into what God had called him to, and that was to take the throne, to be the king. So in everything that we do, we need to turn to the one who is the authority, and he will guide our way. And that takes me to my third and final point. The word of God, scripture, is the final authority, I would like to look at how Jesus handled temptation. We all say that we are followers of Christ. Well, let's look at how the master did it. Let's look at how he handled temptation. This is found in Matthew 4, 2 through 11. 
After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus combated this temptation with a reference from Scripture. He was quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. He was quoting the Word of God, the authoritative Word of God, before this temptation even came to, to try and mess him up. It was established, authoritative. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you do not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus told him, (laughs) It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. So Jesus combats this misusage of Scripture by the enemy, and he aligns it rightly by using Scripture correctly. And he also combats that temptation at the same time. This is Deuteronomy 6.16 that he's quoting. Scripture, authority, power. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, he was combating temptation by referencing the word of God found in Deuteronomy 6.13. Then verse 11, the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. Notice that the uh, enemy had to leave. The enemy left. powerful. There's power in scripture. There's power in his word. His word, which is the truth. And we had some Ohio State fans in our last uh, breeze here. Yep. (laughs) So if you're not familiar with sports, in professional football, a lot of times they'll have little video clips of the athletes saying their name and where they went to college. And it's all of the Ohio State guys that are like, the Ohio State. (laughs) And it's like, you know, they they definitely think it's something. Like, the Ohio State. (laughs) They're really good, Bree. They're really good. Yes. (laughs) His word, which is the truth. This is how we out-truth lies. We use his word. When we rightly align our thoughts and desires with him, that's the best place to be. So the next question is, why? Why scripture? Why is it all authoritative? Because God is the authority and he is behind all scripture. God is the authority And he is behind all scripture. John 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Matthew Barrett, an associate professor of Christian theology, said this, and I think it sums up this point really nicely. The doctrine of authority and inerrancy of scripture is rooted in the doctrine of God. As God is true and trustworthy, 
Assumed in such a statement is the belief that our doctrine of Scripture should be grounded in our doctrine of God. If God is Scripture's author, then we should not divorce the character of the divine author with the character of his divine speech. After all, this is God's word we are describing. Scripture has many human authors, but it ultimately originates from one divine author. While God and the text are distinct, nevertheless, the text is his speech act. It should not surprise us that it reflects his character. Communicable attributes characterize his communicable speech, and truthfulness is one of them. As the God of truth and the God who is truth, he speaks a word of truth. The truthfulness of the text reflects the truthfulness of its divine author. Hence, the psalmist could say that the God whose way is perfect communicates a word that always proves true and for that reason is a comfort to those who trust in it for their salvation. And that aligns with our anchor verses here. I'm going to jump back to that. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. God's word is like a truth bomb. I don't know if you've ever seen footage, I think it was from the 40s when they were testing the atomic bomb, the nuclear bombs, all those types of things, where you see the bomb drop and they built all these types of structures up, you know, like different homes and different sized buildings just to see what would happen after they dropped the bomb. They dropped the bomb, you see just this, this shockwave just wipes out all those buildings and wipes out everything that they had put in place to see what would happen. God's word, scripture, because he's behind it as all authority, is a truth bomb. Truth bomb. So whatever things are, are built up around us trying to come against truth or trying to pull us in a way that's away from him, drop that truth bomb. Scripture, word of God, bam. Jesus sums it up nicely for us here in John 8, 31 through 32. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.